short-term disability is probably more interesting than you think it would be. And it's actually going to help you sell more premiums. So let's talk about all the ins and outs of short-term disability. My name is Yafa Sakaja, and I'm the CEO of Beneplan. I think from a sales perspective, when you've landed a new group benefits client and you ask them point blank, Mr. or Mrs. Business Owner, um, what is important to you in a benefit plan? Where do you want to invest your dollars? They're totally going to say, I want a lot of health and dental coverage. And if you say, well, what about life and long-term disability? Do you want to protect your employee's income? They're going to say, no, 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 that's not important to me right now. I don't know what it is, but every single time I can tell you, if I've seen 99 prospects, I'm telling you 99 prospects are, are saying the same thing. Most employers don't see the need in buying life insurance. I think there's also that like, um, I don't know, the cliche of the life insurance salesman. No one really wants to be sold an insurance product that they're not going to use. They want dollars, you know, cash dollars that they can give their employees today that their employees can use. So I'm going to give you a little trick um, that you can use to open the door to selling pooled benefits. And that trick, that little wedge in the door is short-term disability. So you're talking to a business owner and they have a startup, or maybe it's a few years old and you say, okay, no problem. Um, explain to me what happens if someone walks into your office with the doctor's note saying that they're going to be off work for three months. What do you do to their payroll? And then close your mouth and listen to them. Even if they don't say anything, just wait, like leave some time to pause because eventually that person will say, I don't know. I don't know what to do. And I'll tell you the answer because I see it all the time. I see owners that have benefit plans that have no short-term disability or long-term disability in place. What do you think they eventually do when someone walks into their office, looks into their eyes and says, I need to take three months off? You're not going to stop my payroll, are you? Business owners inevitably continue that employee's payroll at 100% for that time. Even though that person might not be fully productive, if you're caught blindsided, first of all, you're running your business. You don't actually have time to sit and think about, well, wait a minute, what's all, what are all the HR nuances I need to think about? What's the law? What's the practice? What does EI pay? Like people are not thinking that way. All they're thinking is, okay, first of all, I'm embarrassed. Like, does our plan even cover that? Cause by then it's been a couple years since you set up the plan and you completely forgot what you set up. Um, you know, here, here's the thing I'm running a business. I forget what I said five minutes ago. So just keep that in mind. Um, they might call you as the broker and say, okay, what's happening here? Where do we go? And you'll say, well, there's no coverage. And they'll say, oh my God, I can't believe our plan had no coverage. Well, they're going to continue to pay that person. Why? Because it's embarrassing. You can't have a human being that you tell, you know, all the time, hey, you're doing a great job. Hey, can you please get this report done? Hey, can you please work overtime? Oh, but sorry, you have cancer and I'm just going to cut off your payroll. And so I think most people running businesses are not aware that in Canada, we have this beautiful thing called employment insurance, EI. So employment insurance, as of the recording of this episode, will cover your lost wages in a number of scenarios, such as layoff or work shortage, but they'll also cover your earnings if you are sick. How much are they going to pay? Well, they're typically going to pay whatever the EI max is in that year. So it goes up every year by, for cost of living. As of the recording of this episode, it is, you know, $560 and change. I used to know it off the off heart and I just stopped memorizing it, but um, you know, $500 a week. And by the way, the formula is 55% of earnings to a maximum of $500 a week. It's not really going to cut it for many employees. Like sure, if you're making minimum wage, if you're working a living wage, that might be okay. But 
if you're talking to a CTO, if you're talking to an engineer, if you're talking to the lead hand in the in the factory, like they're not going to be able to live off of five hundred dollars a week. They're going to say, um, "I've got a wife and two kids, and another one on the way, and my mortgage is way more than that, and I need to live." And like, how do you expect me to live? Ninety-five uh, percent of people do live paycheck to paycheck, so they're going to be looking to you as the broker or looking to the employer as well what's going to happen? Like, who's going to pay me the difference? And so even though, you know, Hey, it's a good thing as a broker that you can say to your client, listen, if you want to spend absolutely $0 protecting your, um, clients, your employees income through premiums or through insurance, that's fine. But just know that you can send them to EI and EI is okay, but there's so many problems with EI. The first massive problem with EI is that there's very little adjudication. Um, again, as of the recording of this podcast, listen, I don't work for the government. I don't see their practices. I can only tell you from my own experience. And anecdotally, I have a lineup of employers that say, I use EI or I used EI for several years and they do zero adjudication. So if you walk into EI, um, Service Canada's office, and you've got a doctor's note saying Yaffa needs to take four months off work, yeah, you're going to update them every couple of weeks, but you're going to get that four months of EI paid. It's all, A lot of people have said it is like a rubber stamp factory. Like They don't check if you're able to do some work. They don't check to see if you can work part-time. They don't check to see if you can do modified duties. There's no management. And so that becomes very dangerous for your client. Because when an employee goes away and goes off on sick leave, especially an extended sick leave, the longer they're off, the less likely they are to come back to work. And the more that becomes a black box, you know, a scary hole that you're really not sure how to tread into or how to touch, um, becomes a problem. And then it eventually leads to termination and it becomes an expensive termination. So I'm not going to get into all the details of, you know, terminating someone while on disability, but let's start about right up front. Let's start with a fresh start. Let's try to nip some of these things in the bud. So, okay. Business owner, you employ human beings, correct? Yeah. Human beings get sick. Okay. I mean, you can throw some statistics at them, but you know, telling people like, well, one in four of us will have mental illness and one in three of us will have cancer. It can resonate, but people are also thinking, well, I'm running my business today. I don't have extra money to buy premiums or buy short-term disability insurance. Fine. No problem. Well, did you know that with the EI rates that you're already remitting to the government, which is roughly, um, 2% of payroll. So you remit, um, 2% from the employer's side, or actually they just reduced it recently. So it's like 1.6% and the employee matches that amount. You send that amount to the government. Um, you could say, Hey, guess what? There's this program called the EI premium reduction program. Google it now. I'll wait. EI premium reduction program. Hey Google, what is the EI premium? That allows Canadian employers to opt out of EI sickness, effectively reducing their EI rate. Um, if that employer promises to roll out a new short-term disability plan that is at minimum the same or better than the EI sickness benefit entitlement. So if an employer says, Hey, instead of me sending you to EI when you're sick, I'm going to pay you from the first dollar, or I'm going to find a company to pay you from the first dollar, like an insurance company or a third party administrator. You can see where I'm going with this. Um, you're going to get the same 55% of earnings to a maximum of $500 a week. You can certainly go more than that. Go ahead. If you want to pay 70% of earnings to a maximum of $1,000 a week, do it. If you want to create an executive class that says you're going to pay 
85% of earnings to a maximum of $2,000 a week, go nuts. Um, but the key is that as of the recording of this podcast, February 2020, um, the savings for employers is actually $3,500 per year um, per million dollars of insurable earnings. So I'll say that again. If you uh, apply for the EI premium reduction program, the company will save in their EI premiums, they'll save $3,500 roughly per million of insurable earnings on their payroll. So if you have a payroll of $1 million, your total bottom line net uh, savings is $3,500. If you have a payroll of $10 million, the savings is $35,000. If you have a payroll of $20 million, the savings is $70,000 a year. So then there, there comes a tipping point whereby, you know, I think if the business is over, let's say two to 3 million in payroll, that's when you're safe and you're able to say, okay, statistically based on the regular incidence of disabilities, like let's say it's, um, you know, one in every hundred or it d- does depend on the industry, but without getting too deep, let's just say it's one in every hundred. So maybe you might have one every four years if you're a small business or one every year if you're a larger business. Um, that actually makes sense. It makes business sense for a business. So, you know, we had a large customer recently. They have about 500 lives and we calculated that they would save based on our own rough estimates without seeing their full payroll register, that they would save about $65,000 a year just by opting out of EI sickness. Now that you've saved that money from going to the government every year, you can say, well, guess what? You can now deploy a world-class disability program with that savings. So guess what? You can have short-term disability. Um, You can have long-term disability. By the way, long-term disability is typically an employee-paid premium, so that becomes a net nil or neutral result to the employer. And you can absolutely make sure that the life insurance and the critical illness is enough so that when that person walks into your office and says, am I covered? You can say yes. And I'm proud that we actually have a really great plan. Instead of saying, no, I'm so sorry. Um, Let me just go and ask accounting to write you a check that becomes taxable income to you. So I think once you're able to unlock this money, now here's the key. The big caveat with EI um, is that they say, well, if you're going to get the savings, you're going to have to share uh, five twelfths of it with the employee. The reason why it's five twelfths is because that's the share of premium that employees pay for EI. So you don't actually go and reduce the EI deductions from the employee's side. Their pay stubs look the same, but the employer remits a lower amount every time they remit. So that's where the employer is saving the amount. And how employers deal with that is they tell the government, yep, no problem. We are reinvesting in our benefit plan. We're rolling out a short-term disability program that's better. And then we're also putting the savings into the plan. Then that's completely onside, completely kosher. Um, I've seen other companies say, well, we give the cash back to employees. I don't recommend that because... um, you know, when you parse it down to the employee level, it becomes very, very small and almost like a forgettable event. But if you have now a piggy bank where you can actually pay people on disability proper wage loss protection, that's so much more meaningful than having, you know, words spread around the water cooler. Like, did you know we have no coverage for cancer? Yeah, I know. Like people, people talk and they'll speak that way. So I think if you paint the picture like that, it that discussion becomes a lot easier. That said, I find most companies will still you know, push and resist. They'll say, no, no, I'll just buy whatever is the minimum that I need to get away with. And insurance companies will typically say, okay, you just need a minimum of, let's say, $30,000 of life insurance and, you know, maybe two other projects, products like AD&D, Independent Life, and you're off to the races. Um, that said, I think keep 
keep it on the agenda at every renewal or even every quarterly report if you're happy to do that. You can just say, you know, this is a gap. Um, you know, touch wood, you haven't had anyone need to use it right now, but as soon as someone needs to use it, you need to call me, you need to set something up. That's actually the number one way that we add short-term disability. It's usually when someone is sick. So I've done so many amendments in my career where it's literally like this person walked into my office and now we have two weeks to set a policy up. Like it's just every time it's a very reactive strategy. So as much as we can try to get human beings to be proactive and motivate them to act in insurance sales, um, you also have to just be ready and be prepared. Like, okay, you know where the links are, you know where the application forms are. You can walk your client through the process. Um, I've done it many times. If you want to walk your client through the process of applying to the EI premium reduction program, it's very, very simple. It's like a one-page application that they sign, basically company name, address, um, business number, a few other things, signing officer, done. And then also they even give you a templated short-term disability policy. But before you get too excited... Um, who manages the short-term disability is incredibly important because if you just kind of set it and forget it, say, well, now it's self-insured and the company's going to do it, you've got a problem. You now need a proper medical adjudicator right at the gate because if somebody's going to hand the owner a doctor's note saying they need three months off work, somebody needs to actually adjudicate that and manage that. And it cannot be the employer because of privacy. If an employer gets too far and deep into the disease or the disability of that employee, um, number one, that employee might not consent for the employer to get that level of detail. Like think about it. Some people have uh, HIV. Like you might not want your employer to know that you're dealing with something like that because of the obvious discrimination potential. Um, there's also, you know, huge risk of lawsuits. So if you want to give the angle to the employer of, well, not, not really about privacy, but, but lawsuits. So if you're, if you know that your employee has HIV and that's why they're disabled and you also know that they haven't been performing well, and now you're starting to come down and crack down on them for their performance. And I've seen employers do this, and I've, do, I've seen them do it specifically because they want to get a quote-unquote sick person off their books, which is the wrong <laughs> strategy completely. Uh, but what happens if that employee goes to the government, goes to the Human Rights Tribunal, goes to the Ministry of Labor, and says and makes a claim that either they were uh, discriminated against because of their disability, they were terminated, and it was a wrongful termination, or worse, like you um, hurt their human rights, their basic fundamental Canadian Charter human rights of discrimination based on disability, based on XYZ that you did, like, guess what? That employer is going to get pinned to the wall for an enormous lawsuit. Um, I've seen cases where the employer employer is required to reinstate that employee with their back pay, back premiums, plus a penalty because they were a jerk. And that can be a two to $300,000 amount that that employer is paying. That's insane for a small business. So at minimum, try to get your client to see the light from the legal perspective. Yes, it is rare, but these things happen. They're all over the internet. If you want to search for cases, you know, there's um, a company called Sherard Coos. That's an employment lawyer that we see post stuff like this all the time. But there's many. There's many employment lawyers that do uh, employer side law or even labor law. And they'll post, like they'll post the results of these cases, the precedent setting cases. So let me backtrack. That was like a huge rabbit hole. But that's the reason why you don't want the employer to have any shred of medical information at their company. They, you don't even want to know, like, what is it? Honestly, with my own employees, it's better if I don't know why they're sick. I just want to know, okay, they're taking time off, period. It's either personal time or it's other time. 
like leave it alone. So the question is, who is going to be the adjudicator? Um, you have many choices that you can recommend, and it does depend on the client. First of all, um, disability carriers, like insurance companies that cover long-term disability, typically have a short-term disability practice where they can manage the claim. They can provide advice to pay as well, ATP. Um, I know RBC, Humania, cooperators who we work with, they all provide advice to pay. Uh, some uh, carriers only want to adjudicate the claim if they're also the fully insured carrier on that. The thing is, I have a fundamental problem with short-term disability being fully insured. Maybe that's a separate podcast and talking about why that's not the right funding method, but you want someone who's going to be able to work with your client on a self-insured basis for short-term disability because it's really in the best interest of the client. So if the insurance carrier you're with that already has the long-term disability is not ready to jive with that, and you know it's better to have one because then hopefully the case manager can follow the case all the way. The insurance company can do earlier intervention because they've, they've got the LTD, they're financially incented to do that. But um, there are other disability managers out there. Um, I'll name some. You know, a claim is a large one. Oncidium is another one. OSI or Organizational Solutions Inc. Um, is one that we have used and we we think actually does a really great job. That's OSI, uh, run by Dr. Liz Scott. And so uh, there's lots of companies. If you're with a TPA, uh, you might have that practice. I know Beneplan, we've got that practice as well if there are um, employers who want the disability managed. And so, you know, the job of that adjudicator is to listen to the employee. I mean, they typically have like former healthcare practitioners like nurses or kinesiologists on staff, social workers that have... Uh, disability management training, you know, listen to the employee, understand what's the issue, but also talk to the employer and then try to suss out, is there actually a workplace issue here that is causing stress and hardship? Um, talking to the employer about, are there any modified duties that you can recommend? So just like in WSIB or in the workers' comp world, you want to recommend modified duties, um, you know, from a Canadian labor law perspective. If there's no modified duties whatsoever, then that manager should say, well, can I please see the job description? And I want to send a letter to the physician, the attending physician, who should be a Canadian attending physician if you're in Canada, and you know, write them a letter and say, okay, these are the 10 things in their job description. Please tell me which ones they can do, which ones they cannot do, because we'd love to accommodate their disability. We're a workplace that loves to accommodate disability. We invest in accommodating disability. Um, now... You know, it is possible that that doctor might balk and say, no, I'm pushing back, like they're totally disabled, and that's fine. But just know that those disability managers have in their toolkit the ability to offer a second medical opinion that the employer will pay for. Um, so it's a few hundred dollars to a few thousand dollars, depending upon the specialty. But if you want to invest in that to get a second opinion to know, well, actually, um, with all due respect, we don't want you to go to your childhood doctor. We want you to go to a physician that specializes in this specific area. And so please go ahead and do that. And that is a requirement. And then they'll also follow the employee and manage that relationship for the client. So the client doesn't have to worry, okay, has anyone talked to this person? Are they coming back to work or not? Like what's happening? Am I even allowed to talk to them? It becomes like a mystery thing and you want it to be a mystery thing for liability purposes. But then that means that that um, disability case manager is following all the steps that they're supposed to do. I've heard through the grapevine that disability case managers, um, like these separate companies like OSI, uh, because they charge a per case or per file, like they're not like an insurance company. And so therefore the financial incentives are very different. They just care about like, are we adjudicating this case properly? 
as opposed to other factors. While insurers say, no, 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 there's no, you know, there's there's totally church and state between the disability management part of the house and the profitability part of the house, that's fine. You can make your own assumptions and conclusions, but there are some brokers that feel like that is not always, ah, you know, reality, but again, maybe a story for another time. So, Now, you've got your EI premium reduction program uh, form filled out. You've got your new short-term disability policy. You've got your new adjudicator. Maybe you've picked a claim or OSI and they're charging, you know, five, six hundred dollars flat per case plus HST to adjudicate the claim. Great. So now you've got to tell your customer, okay, so you're either going to manage the funds yourself or hire a company to do that. Now, this is getting a little bit extreme for administration. I think most clients just want to be over and done with, like their eyes will start to cross. And that's why, you know, if you're working with a TPA, it is nice that they can do everything. They can adjudicate, they can pay the claim, they can issue T4s, um, they can do all the letters. But if you've got a really frugal employer and that really, really want to save money, you can say, hey, you know, you guys can actually manage the payroll internally. All you have to do is reduce their payroll, um, make sure that you're naming it uh, sick leave payments, and make sure that you're remitting the correct taxes because there are different taxes that you remit. Um, depending on the funding method, either it is insurable or not for um uh, workers' compensation, but it is certainly income taxable. It's certainly Canada Pension Plan uh, taxable as well, and and that is assuming that the employer is funding it completely, not that the employee is funding it. Uh, so maybe we'll have an, another episode talking about like funding and taxability of benefits. But so yeah, that's it. Now you're off to the races. Now you look like an absolute hero because you've just saved your client, you know, thirty, sixty thousand dollars. You've found money, and you know, there's nothing business owners love more than like not paying money to the government that they don't need to, um, you know, they've been able to roll out a really, really great benefit plan. And now their employees are covered. A um, couple other things I want to say on this topic, uh, business owners might also pause when you're suggesting short-term disability. Cause I think like the fear and the mentality out there is that, okay, so just because this benefit exists, now people are going to use it and claim it. While that's true, I mean, yes, there are probably some people in the gray areas that say, oh, we've got a plan. I'm going to claim disability. Like that's why it's really important to get a good adjudicator that could say no, if the person is not disabled, they can suss out whether the person is working another job elsewhere, or if they just had conflict with their manager and they don't feel like working. But at the same time, it's going to save the customer a heartache because now you don't have to deal with another human resources issue that you're not prepared to deal with. B, it's going to save you money because EI will reduce the amount of premiums you pay. C, it reduces enterprise risk because, um, you know, if you don't have anything in place, people are still going to get sick. They're going to come to HR and talk about it. You're going to know those stories, whether you like it or not. And if you start to pay one person a little bit, you're now setting the precedent for paying everybody their full payroll when they're off sick. So that's what I would say when employers say, I really, really don't want it to be used frivolously. Um, employers also talk about stress. They're like, Oh, I don't want everyone to claim stress leave. Okay. That's valid. 
but we live in Canada. Canada has very, very strict labor regulations. And recently, um, workers' compensation actually updated their definition of disability to include workplace stress. Now that said, listen, like if you're having a bad day, it's not like you can go and claim workers' comp, but if you had systematic pressure, harassment, trauma, sexual abuse, hardship on the job, PTSD, like that is an eligible disability under which you can claim workers' compensation that the employer pays into. So I'm so sorry, whether you like it or not, we live in a country that recognizes mental illness as a disability. And if you act like an ostrich and put your head in the sand and pretend it doesn't exist, that is not going to bode well. Um, Also, you know, the concept of insurance, especially like workers' comp, is that it's a no-fault insurance system. So with workers' compensation, if an employer is not opting into that, that's fine. But you open yourself up to lawsuit. Like if somebody slips and falls, Um, at your premises, well, they can sue you for that. So you better have insurance for that. Well, if you've got workers' compensation and someone got hurt on the job, it basically, it well, not basically, it does. It prevents that employee from suing the employer. So now you've removed the legal risk. You said, okay, no fault. It happened. It's an accident. We all pay into the system. Now let's get you well and get back to work. That's the other thing, like that, the concept of no fault. So if you've got a health plan in place to say, hey, listen, your top engineer was working around the clock. They were burnt out. They felt under pressure from management. They were told that they have to work harder. And yes, they had a mental breakdown. And guess what? It's the employer's fault. Well, having a benefit plan you know, solve that issue is really, really important. As an employer, you don't want that kind of liability hanging over your head. And I think the more that companies grow and the more they expand and get better, the more that that's just going to be another like you know, hidden risk that you're going to have to deal with eventually. So, um, I know I've said a lot about short-term disability. I want to have another episode where we talk about funding and how, you know, why does it make more sense to do it on an ASO basis? But for now, if you have any questions on how short-term disability is managed, please feel free to reach out at benandplan.ca or through social, one of our social networks, uh, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn at benandplan.ca. Thank you so much for listening.